renewable energy system is undergoing a huge transition, with the costs of renewable energy becoming more competitive versus traditional sources, along with increased public awareness and pressure. Renewable energy is becoming the mainstream energy source for many, no longer an alternative just for the progressive few. Listen each week as Brant Handley and Christian Crown, founding partners of Renew Executive Search, interview renewable energy and sustainability experts that are not only making a difference to the environment, but are also growing successful businesses. Listen and learn about what attracted these experts to renewables, why they've stayed in the sector, and how they are helping renewable companies create a better tomorrow. We know you'll enjoy these stories as much as Brandt and Christian enjoyed recording them. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are looking forward to you joining us as we dive deeper on how renewables are going mainstream. Today's guest is Michael Liegner. Michael is Principal at Lucky Consulting and is an innovative global sales and marketing business development leader with a passion for, for conceiving and launching game-changing products and strategies. He's passionate about inspiring and engaging clients to adapt to new innovative technologies and approaches. Michael has more than 14 years' experience of development of, energy, of new energy storage technologies. Over the course of his career, he has led the deployment of the very first ultra-capacitor-powered start-stop systems used in automotive and the very first starter module for trucks, buses, and trains. Michael has been at the forefront uh, of the industry and amongst the pioneers in automotive sectors, working with the likes of the BMW, Mercedes-Benz, GM, Volkswagen Group, and many others, including their respective tier one suppliers. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Christian. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, why don't you start by telling a bit about yourself, Michael? Yes. Um, so I'm originally, I was, uh, I have this yo-yo thing, as I call it. I was born in the U.S., but raised in Germany, went to Germany, you know, schooling and graduated as an engineer in the University of Karlsruhe, mechanical engineering, and then decided, you know what, I got the dual citizenship. Why not explore the world and go over to the U.S.? And uh, so early on, you know, my first uh, career steps was actually in aerospace, working for a company called McDonnell Douglas, which was later on taken over by Boeing. And then, you know, uh, suddenly, you know, there was like a huge economic crisis uh, in those days. And I decided to go back to Germany and started working for Mercedes-Benz. And I was there, you know, part of the management training program. And I think they appreciated the fact, you know, that I did space, uh, spend some time over in a foreign country in the U.S., you know, and, you know, also knew different countries, different, different customs. And I had the opportunity there to go through this management program, see many, many sections, you know, within the company from the trucks to the buses to the cars. I mean, you just name it. And um, but then after four years, I became, yeah, I don't know if I can call it homesick, but it definitely wanted to go back to California and uh, went back to California, continued working again for Boeing. And this is one of the things you know, that is probably only possible in the U.S., here I was an engineer and I was making some suggestions how to improve their product from a design point of view, from yeah, industrial design point of view. And that was the cockpit of the MD-90 aircraft. And uh, I hooked up you know, with a local university, uh, the famous Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. And I had some students you know, completely redesign the cockpit of this aircraft. Uh, 
So what happened suddenly, my name was out there and uh, I suddenly received a phone call from a company called Designworks. And to the, at that point in time, I had no idea that they were owned by BMW. But anyway, the owner of the company calls me up and says, you know what, uh, we're looking for somebody heading up our transportation design group. Would you be interested? And I say, well, you know, I'm not a designer. I'm a mechanical engineer. And he says, yeah, you know what, we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, so then here, I then joined this company that was focusing on industrial design. And so we were basically my team. We were designing everything that moved, but is not a BMW. Uh, and this was going on from boats and trucks and buses and trains. And we did a lot of airplanes. You just name it. Everything that was moving. And, you know, we helped, you know, our clients become successful you know, by providing and designing products for them, you know, that would be desired by their end customers. And then after many, many years, you know, being very successful with that, one of my clients, um, which uh, was the CEO of uh, Fleetwood Industry, they were making RVs and we were designing some interiors for RVs. Um, he contacted me out of the blue and said, you know what, um, there is this totally new technology, you know, it's energy storage. And, um, you know, you want to look into that, you know, it's, it's something brand new. And by the way, you're going to help save the planet with that, you know, and I said, really? And <laughs> so, <laughs> so I uh, did meet with these guys and, you know, ultimately it uh, led to one thing that I became the VP of business development for Maxwell Technologies. And they were back then uh, in their infancies, they were working on this technology called ultracapacitor, which is a energy storage, you know, for kind of shorter durations, high power, low energy. And, um, you know, one thing, you know, where people were asking me back then, you know what, you're working on all this really sexy, cool stuff, you know, airplanes, you know, and boats and, and really cool car uh, trains and all these other things. And now if I look at the thing that you're working on, it looks like a Coke can. That's it. Uh, I mean, how did you do? Why? Why did you do that? And why did you change careers to something like that? And one one of the things you know that really motivated me was in uh, in those days or leading up to that point, there were many initiatives within the company, and they said, "Yeah, you know, we have to become more sustainable, and uh, you guys have to force this upon your customers, upon your clients." You know, and so I always use this great example. You know, calling up John Deere and saying, "Yeah, you know, you got to make these fenders more sustainable. Are using some sustainable plastic?" Huh? And uh, they say, okay, great. You got any idea which plastic? You know, so, shit, you know, I don't know which plastic, you know. So we asked some of the people that were initiating this whole thing, you know, so, hey, can you uh, tell us, you know, what plastic to use? And they say, well, no, just tell them it has to be something sustainable. And <laughs> this is not how it very works. Very helpful. You know, so, <laughs> very helpful. So it kind of came across, you know, it was not very honest and, and sincere, this whole initiative. Granted, you know, it's quite a few years ago. But then suddenly, you know, realizing, you know, this Maxwell technology, this energy storage, this is something, you know, that really, really made a difference. Huh? I mean, it, it was honest. Huh? It was authentic. And this is what then ultimately really, uh, you know, made me decide to join this company. And, you know, I joined them at a great point in time. Um, for other industry, it wasn't a great point in time. 2008, 2009, suddenly the crisis started coming. 
I was heading up the uh, sales and business development jointly, and we were just exploding. We were like growing 50% a year. It was really amazing. Uh, and it was really mainly due to renewable. And, you know, we were not the renewables, but we were enabling a lot of energy saving technologies, other energy savings technologies. So I sometimes would also call ourselves, you know, we were the masters of the energy management, uh, helping other companies to manage their energy a lot better. Which is a hugely significant part in the whole energy transition phase. You can't just switch from one to the other. You really need those enablers. Exactly. Exactly. And so our first, when I started there, our first clients, you know, we were first of course all, you know, looking into automotive industry. You know, so I was able to launch the very first um, ultra-capacitor-based stop-start system, a system, you know, that's still in production today. And, you know, it was saving, was a very simple system, but it saved a huge amount of uh, resources, meaning gasoline in this case. Um, you know, in certain city traffic situations, you know, they, they said, you know, they were showing savings, you know, 10% even more. Some of them, they never publicized it, but they told us, you know, up to 20%, you know, fuel savings that they were able to achieve with this technology. But then at the same time, we also started to get into hybrid buses. Uh, and interesting thing was China was one of the main drivers for that. China motivated for the uh, 2000 and I think it was the 2010 Olympics. They wanted to go all with battery electric buses, but um, that didn't work out too well. It was a little bit too early, but our technology was ultra capacitors. You know, they were able to introduce hybrid buses. And suddenly, um, they were, it's not, I mean, their development time is, was just mind boggling. They bought some modules from us, they put them into buses in a way they would have never been allowed in any Western country because these modules they were sitting underneath the passenger buses. Huh? And we're talking high voltage here. And <laughs> yeah, they tried them out for about three months and they say, okay, we're going to order like 50 bus, bus sets worth of modules. Huh? I mean, it's like, whoa, this is, this is big. Huh? And it really took off from there. And, but then we would also get more and more into the truly, truly kind of the, the participants of the renewable energies. And this was the wind turbine industry. And in the wind turbine industry, one of the key things was um, you have the blades and these blades, you know, they are being put into the wind. And now suddenly if there's too much wind um, or if the wind turbine itself gets disconnected from the grid, suddenly they lose the resistance. They turn faster and faster. So now what they have to do, they have to turn the blades out of the wind, pretty much break themselves, yeah? slow themselves down. And for that, they needed an energy storage system that is quickly reacting, meaning high power. This is why they were using ultra capacitors. So it was installed and is now probably, I don't know, maybe it's now approaching 100,000 wind turbines, if not even more, you know, where they're using systems like that. Yeah? And it is working very, very reliable. Yeah? And so you can say this was energy storage was uh, somewhat an a key enabling technology. I know some companies are doing this with hydraulics, but once you talk to a maintenance guy, and I did that, they don't like the hydraulics up there because this they is don't just, like moving parts. 
<laughs> they like the electricity because the electricity doesn't uh, emit some black liquids that are hot <laughs> and oily. <laughs> so, so they really preferred, you know, the uh, the electric uh, energy storage. Yeah. And then you ended up founding uh, Lipke Consulting. So basically, um, I was working, you know, for for Maxwell Technology for quite a few years, you know, and then I went on my own and I started also, you know, working independently. And um, my first clients, you know, it was again drawing now on two different sets of uh, capabilities. One hand, the things that I have done in the design industry, you know, so I actually uh, was able and lucky, you know, to uh, acquire a series of automotive companies, you know, that I was doing some trend analysis and things that you would never usually not associate, you know, with this, uh, what an engineer is doing. But then in the other hand, also a lot of work, you know, with other energy storage companies, uh, ultra capacitor companies, but also battery companies. Um, that were trying to get into the industry, they were trying to industrialize whatever they have, or they were also trying to find new applications. Huh? And I think this is the, the the one thing that I always enjoyed, you know, that helps me now is trying to see what is that the technology a certain customer has, and then seeing if there's maybe some applications where this could really work. Um, kind of helping them, I define this problem have a solution, seek a problem. Yeah? And so <laughs> going out, helping a lot of these companies, finding problems that could be solved with their solution. It worked also for for kind of rather exotic things, you know, a material supplier, you know, they developed a new material and this material, um, you know, they sometimes, they, they were really focused on certain industries. And, you know, I had one very, very interesting client and they were wise enough, I put it this way, to open up their laboratory to allow me to take a look at what is it that they're working on. And since they were so focused on their traditional industry, they didn't see, you know, what are there potentially other applications for their materials. And I, I came in at the right point in time and looking at some of these things and then I put on, well, more the design thinking, where could designers use this material? And I worked with them to come up, you know, with a whole range of um, applications for their materials, which they then took into the automotive industry. And I know that there's now the first vehicles running off the production line using their materials. So something that they would have never envisioned, you know, where something like this could be used. And now it's supposedly even its own independent division within that company. Michael, as we discussed prior to the podcast, our global energy system is really undergoing like a huge transition these decades. Um, but there's still a lot of work to go before we get there. How are you helping companies overcome some of these challenges? First of all, um, again, going back to the original theme, you know, identifying, you know, where is the problem? Where could they help with their solution? And I think right now, I mean, we're in, in a great point in time. Um, the electrical grid, the entire generation of electricity is somewhat uh, questioned. You know, the grid, it's overtaxed, but the generation 
you know, people are asking now, okay, do we still have to do it the traditional way? Do we still have to use a coal-fired power plant to do that? Is there some other ways that we can do that, you know, and how can we integrate this intelligently? And I think, you know, that, um, it, you know, we reached, in my opinion, you know, we reached a point in time, you know, when there is no way going back. I think nobody, uh, at least in the Western world, would nowadays get a permission, you know, to install or open up a new coal-fired power plant. I mean, maybe two years ago, I would have said, yeah, um, it would be a challenge to do that. I mean, they have one advantage that they are, um, you know, cost competitive. They have a very low price. I hear now from people, I just got a phone call literally two weeks ago where a gentleman was telling me, yeah, you know, they uh, they had bids in, you know, for some power generation and the most expensive one was actually, you know, coal-based uh, power generation, which means now that the renewables in combination with energy storage, and this is what the gentleman told me, you know, in combination with energy storage, they can suddenly compete with these traditional uh, carbon dioxide emitting power plants they can compete with it also on a cost level uh, and, without and, subsidies right? without subsidies yeah i mean this gentleman was calling from a, a ex-soviet country let's call it this way and um he pretty much just told me i mean they, there is no subsidies available for anything like that yeah? so it is really comparing apples and apples you know how many cents does the kilowatt hour cost you compared to the other one and he said you know they're coming in now that they they they, they are com they're, they're competitive huh? and that's what he said you know this is what we're we're setting up now it starts with first small pilot pl uh, plants and later on he said you know he agreed with me too it's a one-way street you know this is going down now a road down a path you know of, of no return you know it is uh, for them the next generation will be also the same thing they will go with renewables in combination with energy storage huh? and i mean this was it was already very interesting for me to hear that for me to hear that because you know you probably would have estimated in a country like that where they even can get their some of their own coal out of the ground that they're still seeing that renewables are more competitive and how sort of uh, i know you you know a lot about the, the storage side of things and battery storage or storage in general what are some of the challenges you see there that we need to overcome and sort of i know we've come a long way one of the things is that to your point, we've come a long way, but there is now a, a, a very interesting trend, you know, that started maybe, you know, you can say uh, already in the 90s with the development of the lithium-ion battery. But I think it really started to take off, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago when the companies started producing them in high volume. And, you know, you see now daily the news, you know, uh, another battery company announcing that they build another gigafactory. So... You have that, you know, that uh, there is suddenly this new technology that wasn't available uh, a few years ago. It is now, uh, uh, you know, proliferating many, many areas and aspects, even of a consumer's life. You know, I mean, the phone that you hold, you know, this is now needs so much more energy, but still, you know, the battery wasn't able to grow that much, but now you're still running it at the same time a whole day. And even though everybody keeps complaining it's not enough, but scientists are working on it, that it will continue to grow. We'll get there. Right. And and then on the other hand, you know, you do have a uh, an industry, you know, this entire power grid, you know, the energy grid, it is, I, I would define them as rather very conservative, probably for good reasons. Uh, good reasons, meaning it has to be super duper reliable. 
Um, I mean, we all expect, you know, that when you plug something in, it starts to work instantly in somebody behind, you know, that behind that plug has to make sure that it all works, you know, and it worked very well the way they had it set up. And a lot of it was built after World War II, but now suddenly we're reaching somewhat the maximum level, you know, how much you can tax the whole system. Um, some of it is just uh, reaching the level also that they do have to replace it, whether they like it or not, even though you're trying all kinds of means and ways how you can extend the life a little bit longer. But we're getting to the point, you know, where things just reach the end of their meaningful life. And one of the uh, clients was mentioning that uh, they're faced with a situation in uh, Estonia that uh, there are some villages, you know, they were electrified, you know, right after World War II. And now after 60, 70 years in operation, some of these power lines, some of this whole infrastructure would need to be replaced. And now they're wondering, should we do that, you know, run these things, these lines, you know, for 20, 30, 50 or 100 kilometers somewhere into nowhere versus installing a microgrid right there where it's being used you know having these guys become independent and you know generate their own energy on site as much as they need combination of wind solar and energy storage and if you know worst case situation maybe even have a, a backup generator but they're trying to get away with that you know where you suddenly realize okay this is, is a dramatic shift happening you can also see the same thing, um, you know, in where I live here in California. We had these rather devastating fires up in wine country, uh, north of San Francisco. And, you know, where the fires, you know, really uh, cost, uh, cost a lot of lives. But also now leading the utility company to the point, you know, they had to declare bankruptcy. And now there is some talk that they might be fined something like more than $30 billion. I mean, a, a tremendous amount of money. And I think there's now also some voices saying, well, maybe we should kind of go the same route, have microgrids in these communities versus running these power lines across um, mountain ranges and forests. You know, whenever there's a storm, you know, these wires, they touch, they spike, they trigger a fire and that at the end of the day it would be cheaper doing it this way and if you now look at it you know how much money they will probably most likely have to pay the damage to the company i would say there is a lot of uh, microgrids that you can buy you know for 30 plus billion dollars huh? i mean you can really really install a lot you know so the i mean it becomes so much more attractive yeah? what do you see some some of the most significant obstacles in in moving down that path the main obstacle that I would say it is somewhat the um, rather conservative approach, as I mentioned earlier, you know, it has to be very reliable. And so there were certain ways, you know, that has been done in the past, you know, and it's sometimes very, very slow to change the thinking. And it also has to do, I think, in some ways, you know, from some people saying, yeah, you know, this is this renewable. This sounds also green. And especially in the U.S., you know, there's still a lot of doubts about climate change, if this is really happening or not. Fortunately enough, not here on the West Coast, um, but, you know, you still have to deal with this issue. And then I think at the end of the day, you know, once it's being installed, you know, and people see, you know, what are the advantages, you know, then suddenly it's like, whoa, you know, we should have done that a long time ago. Then it instantly changes, you know, the attitude towards these uh, new renewable technologies being 
applied and integrated into their communities. I was wondering sort of, uh, and just going in on sort of where you are helping your clients today, um, is this some of these issues as well that you're helping them deal with? or One of the things, you know, that um, where I help my clients is also taking the approach, you know, that, you know, you have to present a vision, a kind of a strategy. It's not just putting a product in there. So also, what is it, you know, that looking beyond the horizon, what is it that you want to do? What do you want to achieve, you know? And clearly state that, verbalize it, communicate it. Yeah? I mean, sometimes, you know, um, you know, a lot of, all of us engineers, we're a little bit guilty of that. You know, we just think, oh, yeah, you know, this is a really sexy technology, you know, and this is enough for us. Oh, well, this is so cool. But you know what? Uh, <laughs> that does not necessarily become understandable comprehensible for other people that are not necessarily in this industry or you know technology uh, lovers you know like we maybe are and for that point you know you, you have to some way also figure out a way how you can communicate that um you know to the actual end user you know the people that will be using that and i adopted many years already ago a, a philosophy that i call you know for all my engagements, that is user at heart, client in mind. So the client typically is for me the person that, you know, drastically speaking, signs the check, transfers the money. So I have to always keep them in mind, you know, what is it, you know, that they want to achieve, you know, what are some of the issues and the limitations and challenges that they fa face. But on the other hand, you know, always at heart, in my heart, Think about the user, the person, the people, the communities. At the end of the day, they will actually use this. Yeah? And if you kind of take this approach, you know, I think you know it has been successful for me. But it has also been, you know, successful. You know, when uh, when we into when I introduced this philosophy in other companies, you know, having these companies deal with some of their customers. You know, taking the same approach, always looking both directions to the end user and to the people that actually make it happen. And it, it, it works really, really nice. So, Michael, what kind of qualifications do you think are needed to succeed in the renewable industry? I think, you know, the renewable industry in per se is a very broad-ranging industry. I mean, of course, you know, I think uh, technical people are always in high demand, engineers, but then also, you know, software development, um, you know, that you need to control a lot of these uh, situations, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, software engineers. But I also um, really want to emphasize this point, you know, regarding this whole situation, apprenticeships. Yeah? And I'm a huge proponent of apprenticeships. And, you know, in Europe, it's everybody has it. Unfortunately, in the US, I wish, you know, that companies would see the value of that. And with apprenticeships, you know, I think, you know, I was in the, I had the opportunity one point in time to visit a wind turbine manufacturer and I looked at the shop, you know, and I saw some of the equipment, some of the machinery that they were utilizing there, you know, to manufacture, you know, their big components for these uh, wind turbines. And these are big components. Huh? And I just thought to myself, I mean, this is amazing. You know, if I would have a son or a daughter, you know, that would be technically inclined, you know, I rather send her or him to a company like that to take an apprenticeship versus sending them into a coal mine to mine coal and then die with a black lung, you know, when they're 50 years old. Huh? So I can only encourage, you know, everybody, you know, just 
if they're looking more on this route, you know, go to see if there's maybe one of these wind turbine manufacturers, many other offering a apprenticeship there, because it is it is really great. Another area that I see now more and more specifically on wind turbines, but also on solar installation, the whole issue of maintenance. Huh? I mean, you you really want to make sure you know that these things are running at their peak uh, performance the whole time. And so you see a lot, a lot, especially here in the U.S. now, a lot of maintenance jobs opening up, you know, people that have to go to these wind turbines, solar farms. And um, I, I sometimes I was thinking to myself, wow, you know, I mean, if you really like the open air, I mean, that's a fantastic job. And if you like <laughs> maybe even mountain climbing, you know, hanging on one of these ropes, it sounds pretty, looks pretty exciting too. But there's many, many other jobs, you know, just in the maintenance field. Um you know, that uh, they will be opening up, you know, as more and more of these uh, installations are being, you know, set up, you know, all across the country. But um, I do have another kind of, you know, for me, it was very inspirational to see that, you know, another suggestion. And that is um, that I can only advise, you know, people that wanted to get into this industry to attend some of their trade shows, not necessarily a trade conference, but a trade show. And I witnessed it the first time, you know, in, um, in at the wind show, a wind turbine show was specifically a show for wind turbine manufacturers or the entire wind turbine industry. And this was like in the early 2010s, you know, when uh, the economic crisis, you know, was really, really tough in the U.S. And a lot of people lost their jobs, you know, and there were people stopping at the booth, you know, of the company that I was engaged with at that point in time. And I asked them, so what are you looking for, you know? And they were asking, so well, can you explain to me what is it that you're doing here, you know? So I explained to them, you know, we're energy storage, what we're doing and so on and so forth. And then at the end of the day, the gentleman, you know, I asked him, so why are you here? And his response was, you know, I just got laid off. You know, I'm an engineer and I'm just trying to see if this is maybe an industry, you know, to look into. And so you have to say, you know, kudos to the guy because they had to pay $150, $200 to get into the show. And he was going from booth to booth, talking to the people, understanding, you know, what is it that this industry is doing? You know, is there maybe some something you know that he can contribute to this industry maybe also something that is really interesting to him so he really took a deep dive into this whole thing just in one day at this trade show yeah? and i can only encourage everyone that is thinking about a transition or maybe even a new start you know when they're coming straight out of college or university or an apprenticeship program to do the same thing and don't necessarily go to conference go to a trade show Go to the wind turbine trade shows. They have them in Europe. They have them in the U.S. Maybe go to a solar show. There's also traditional shows, you know, in Europe. I would always highly recommend uh, to somebody going to the Hanover trade show in Germany, which unfortunately is getting canceled right now. But <laughs> next year there will be there will be another year, you know. Go there and suddenly you will get a really great overview of what these people are doing, you know. What are some of the companies? Who are the players, you know? With one or two days, within one or two days, you, know, you can learn so much but if this is of interest, you know, and then at the end of the day, they can contact you, right? <laughs> yeah. But Michael, we spoke earlier today about the sort of your exposure to some of the other sectors or industries. Um, how, how do you think this industry is different from working in other sectors? One thing is that this industry, um, I mean, some people, a lot of people pay 
making fun of it, you know, saying, yeah, you know, it's like you guys all green and la la la. And I would say this industry is truly, is honestly, authentically green. Uh? Many other industries are trying to get into that, you know. So I think if you really want to have an impact, if you really want to make a change, I mean, this is the industry. This is the, They are the leaders on the whole thing. They are the ones, you know, that make it possible. I mean, you can go to many other industry, you know, with the, the battery electric vehicle. Yes, you know, there is no exhaust pipe. But at the end of the day, if the energy that's being fed into the battery of the battery electric vehicle only comes from power plants, you know, that are fired with coal and oil, you know, we really haven't gained that much i mean a little bit better than just whatever but i mean you can't do better you know so these guys are really the enabler for all these other things that are going to come in the near future and are they going to come absolutely i have no doubt whatsoever i mean this is what the interesting thing is about this renewable industry it is really really making a difference and i always you know when people ask me again this authenticity i always use this example i went to a trade show for trains and there was one company, and I'm not going to name them, they had a booth there. And in the middle of the booth was this big honking diesel engine. And it was literally painted in green. And people were just standing there taking photos because they just couldn't believe their eyes. You know, there was a big banner, you know, we're going green. And there was this green painted green diesel, diesel engine. <laughs> I mean, this guy's out of Who their, came up with that idea? This guy's out of their mind, you know. So this is what I mean, you know, with with really authentic, you know, it is it is making a difference, you know, and and it is truly renewable. Yeah? And there's so many aspects. I mean, just just thinking about the word renewable, as I mentioned earlier, energy storage is like the management of energy. So you're renewing, you're harvesting energy again, reusing it over and over and over again. So great component crucial component of this whole renewable that's that's what i think is um somewhat different other things i would say they're not so different you know there's many other industry you know sometimes they think you know oh yeah you know we're so uh progressive they're also conservative you know just like the the grid you know we're dealing with somewhat more conservative guys you know what uh, aerospace for example they're also very conservative i mean there's many other industries they're as conservative you know is it somewhat a software app development industry no things are definitely going a little bit faster there but you know it's, it's exciting so you really make you can really make a difference here yeah. oh thank you so much for your time today michael it's been a pleasure hearing your story and everyone out there if you like today's podcast make sure to go and give us a rating and do share it with your friends and colleagues thank you so much thank you very much yeah take care Thank you for listening to Renewables Going Mainstream with Brand Hanley and Christian Crown, partners at Renew Executive Search. We hope you enjoyed hearing our renewable industry experts' stories as much as we enjoyed recording them. If you want to learn more about this fast-growing sector and learn how you can become more involved, please subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brand, Christian, Renewable Executive Search and the booming renewables industry, visit www.goforrenew.com. That's www.go4renew.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode of Renewables Going Mainstream.